Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Having um, homemade spaghetti carbonara. Oh, that's and I've nice. uh, I've cooked it the authentic Roman way as opposed to a Western way. So yeah, very nice. I mm. don't I don't know how that is. What is the? Let's do cooking with Matt. <laughs> cooking with Matt Hart. Uh, so the the authentic way um, yeah. is that you um, garlic is optional in carbonara, um, but I like to. Uh, Cook the garlic off in the olive oil, and then put the uh, the, the lardons in, uh, and then take the garlic out before I then assemble the dish, and it's delicious. Hints of garlic, as opposed to a full blown garlicky stuff. Garlic extravaganza. Yeah, I do like a bit of garlic. But yeah, spaghetti carbonara. Learn learn how to cook that. It's one of the greatest meals you can make in about fifteen minutes. I've got celiacs and lactose intolerance, so it's probably not the meal. Lactose intolerance. Yeah. Uh, you, oh, yeah. The cheese might do for you then. Yeah, the cheese. Oh. Yeah, it's just a terrible. It's a terrible state of affairs. I, I, I can't make it because you obviously get you get lactose. You get lactose free. Philadelphia make their own lactose free stuff. In fact, they do say that processed cheese doesn't contain an awful lot of lactose, so there's not an awful lot they need to do in order to remove the lactose. So there you go. I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. Every day is well. I mean, if you're bringing the cooking, I'm bringing the cooking facts. I mean, that's the way that it's going, Mister Hart. I'll take that um, trade any day of the week. There we go. Um, do you have? Do you all have drinks, as in glasses of water? And um, I have probably enough drink, and if not, I've got a mug of painting water. If I get really desperate, of course you have. <laughs> and the thing is, and the irony is, you've not actually been doing any painting. <laughs> is that you've got to the point where once you've been doing some painting, if you're still, if you're completely, if your thirst has been sated, then what you do is you pour some of that painting water into a nice little jar to keep for later and stick it in the fridge. There you go. Yeah. Depending on the colour, because obviously if you're going for your kind of your darker red colours, those get kept to room temperature. Whereas if it's kind of like a murky, browny, green kind of thing, they're probably best in the fridge. But we can, you know, we can talk about... If we're going down the cooking route... (laughs) (laughs) I've just come back from a week's holiday, so I am definitely going for the murky, green, brown look at the moment. (laughs) There's probably probably a hint of metallic in there, because I I did uh, do some metallics before I went away. So, But that's that's probably like a nice bit of sediment at the bottom that... uh, I can stir up for the kids to give them a little bit of a treat. I, I like, I like, I like the cut of your jib, sir. Because <laughs> normally I can come out with these things and people are like, "What? What? We're drinking? I'm not drinking paint. I'm not like five. What are you talking about? What's going on?" Right. Okay. Let's just um, let's just do this. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> I'm just gonna 
do my act. No, my act. I'm going to say acting thing. I'm not an actor. I'm an idiot. You're going to put your telephone voice on. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been involved in an accident that wasn't your fault? Um, (laughs) Come to Doubtfire Claims. That's Mrs. Doubtfire, dear. Um, Anyway, there we go. (laughs) <laughs> and that's going in the show. That's the that's the intro. Uh, I'm not so, going to lie. Yeah. I wouldn't hang up if that was the opening line. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm one over. Tell me more. Mm. <laughs> have you? Have you? It's a mispainting. We want mispainting insurance. Mis- you know what I mean? Insurance. Have you ever mispainted a model accidentally? Have you painted a brown instead of a red? Have you gone for an easy green instead of a steady lilac? Then mispainting insurance is for you. <laughs> From <laughs> Doubtfire Enterprises. That's Mrs. Doubtfire, dear. Um, but there you go. Um, okay. This is there's no way we're doing that. I was got I had this amazing I'm gonna do it anyway. Okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for I don't know. November is almost November. It could mean November. Um, whether you're shiny out there, whether you're a bit tarnished, whether you're a bit hot, whether you're a bit cold, I am here to give you some chat. And I am joined tonight by two wonderful people. One of them is in the middle of getting sustenance. You can say that they are a man whose heart is forged from steam. I've got, <laughs> I've got Matt Hart. I I love that, and I am immediately adopting that forever. He's not joking. And joining joining them, I've got the lead developer. You could say lead developer, but I like to say he's a lead developer because this is a man who takes a shapeless form and he twists it and he moulds it and he bends it at his will to create and develop games and transmutes it into gold. Not not well, yeah, but you're kind of jumping ahead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> You could say he's been involved from everything from a Resident Evil all the way through to being a bit of a bard singer with bard song. And you could say he's the type of person who sings when he's sure winning. (laughs) It's Sherwin Sherwin Matthews. I'm not apologising for that, right? I've been sitting for literally... Two and a half minutes trying to think of a decent intro. So that's what we're going with. Okay, so there you I, go. I like so, it. I mean, so, two and a half minutes, that is pretty good. I mean, it's hands it's, down the best intro I've had today. Uh, at least. In, in the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, uh, and that was where like, you know, the dodgy mobile phone company was calling me up, asking me like if I wanted the latest kind of iPhone 14. Um <clears throat> So yeah, I've got uh, I've got Matt, I've got Sharon. We're they're from Steamforge. Steamforge, you might have heard, um, kind of small, kind of little outfit that occasionally kind of like goes to Kickstarter and kind of like kind of occasionally pulls out big kind of six figure projects. And they've been involved in everything from kind of Dark Souls to to uh, to Bard Song to God Tier to Resident Evil to oh just and Horizon Zero. I mean, there is like I don't know. I, I think. If they had an IP closet, it would be full up to the brim. But today, we're going to have a little chat about a couple of things. But first of all, uh, thank you very, very much for for joining me. Welcome to the House house of Fun. Um, here oh, we thank go. you for having us. Here we go again. No, I, I mean, I feel wonderful. relaxed and calm already. Um, you don't look at... <laughs> <laughs> 
that's on account because I'm, I'm slightly on tender hooks about whether to take another bite of my delicious spaghetti carbonara. I think, or... I think, I think you should do. That. I think you should do that. I think you should just, you know, and I can. What I can do is, you just tell me when you've taken a bite, and I can just ask. Uh, we could have a section called <laughs> answering cool. questions when I'm under got a mouthful of carbonara. Um, okay, so. Sherman, as I was saying to you earlier on, this is kind of like you're kind of in your, you're kind of your interview space aren't, at the moment, aren't you? I've seen you in a couple of places now, kind of doing kind of interviews and stuff like that. Um, is it? Is it strange kind of having to then kind of be the kind of the media person doing a little bit of spokes chat and stuff like that, kind of going out and doing a bit of the promotion, as well as being the person that's kind of like peddling the wheels in the background as well an awful lot too do you know the thing that happens whenever i get invited onto anything is my imposter syndrome hit slams down so hard i start to feel never about five seconds before you started asking that question and you used the word interview like i suddenly started thinking i'm just some geek sitting in a room somewhere i don't feel any particularly special it always happens um it, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting thing uh it's i think i mean this is obviously uh this is very far from matt or i's first rodeo with this um it's no, always yeah, it's yeah. it's always pleasantly surreal when we find ourselves getting to go on to shows like this one and obviously speak to lovely people like yourself about the games we make uh because most of our days are spent you know talking to a zoom call or whatever about goblins um or rolling dice and stuff which is quite entertaining yeah. so I think you described it as it's kind of like we're uh, we're doing our Graham Norton run, and that's kind yeah. of interesting. It's kind of like we tell a little bit about your life story, and then what happens is you you, you then come in and say, right, and this this is what we kind of this is what we're talking about, kind of like kind of this week. Because I mean, we are going to talk about Elden Ring. We're going to have to talk about Elden Ring because I spent about three months playing Elden Ring earlier this year, and uh, to be honest, it's a game that hasn't that um, hasn't been beaten so far in a long time. And I'm even talking about kind of like the previous iterations of the Soulsborne game. It is one of my kind of my favourites. So we, I do want to talk about kind of that um, kind of going forward. But in terms of Steamforged as a whole, you've gone from... You just seem to be like the kind of the runaway train on the track. So there doesn't seem to be any kind of slight... Any kind of sign of slowing kind of down... You're kind of gathering the momentum. When it was, when it was kind of like when you were, you'd obviously have the corridors in to start pitching to FromSoft about kind of doing kind of Elden Ring. But what was it like? What was what was the atmosphere like the office when you kind of got the phone call or the email to say you've got it, you can develop it? What was kind of what was that like? Was it squeaky bum time or was it like oh, <laughs> how are we going to do this? <laughs> Uh, Matt, do you want do you want to go with that one? Yeah, I think I think so. So, uh, it, it weirdly because it had been uh, Elden Ring had been in discussion uh, with um, uh, with Bandai and with with From Software for so long. Um, mm. When it actually came down to it, um, the actual moment it happened, it, there was obviously a sense of uh, elation, uh, but yeah. there was also a sense of right now we can really get cracking on with it because we've we've been talking to them about Elden Ring for best part of three years um now so we've we've known about the project and been working on it for quite some time yeah um, and 
you know, for good reason. Um, there's been an awful lot of uh, secrecy about the project. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's been an awful lot of sort of um, very tight control over the kind of information that, that From have been releasing and, and talking about. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's meant that when the, when the game came out and we were able to talk about it, then we could really start finalizing everything. Uh, and it really felt as if there was a sudden rush of, of excitement to now, right now, we can actually get our teeth into it. Because up until that point, it had been a very, very small number of people um, at Steamforged who, who were aware of the project and working on it. Um, Sherwin and I and, and um, um, the other co-founder, Rich, um, yeah. uh, were probably about the only people who really knew about it for quite a long time. Was it a little bit like being kind of like Kevin Feige and the Rousseau brothers when you're talking about kind of Marvel Endgame? That kind of like, you know, because one thing I remember about Elden Ring was it became an internet joke when it went from kind of video game conference to video game conference and the fans on social media going, when are we going to get footage? We've not had any footage. Does Elden Ring exist? Is it just like, you know, Miyazaki's kind of joke kind of thing? So you kind of sitting there going... I've got some stuff here. I've got some assets. I know what it's about. I don't know, you know. And you're like, were, was there any point like folk were going, go and tell us, did you discover that you were suddenly getting really pleasant kind of presence in the post and people were like kind of making you cups of tea when you were in the office and, you know, you were kind of getting, oh, you know, I've got these tickets for this football match if you'd like kind of thing. Were you kind of getting that at all? I, I like this idea. I like this idea that I'm popular enough in the office that people... <laughs> People would start being nice to me. I just they, they just stopped being quite so horrible to me, uh, is what I noticed. I'd, I'd probably take that with both hands, to be part. <laughs> you know, I'd grab that. You know, if I move up from like negative five to negative one, that's a win in my in kind of in kind of my world. Um, I think the 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 the, the, the slightly sort of um, s serious answer to that is uh, yeah. sadly no no freebies, but um, uh we we have to take and we do take ndas incredibly seriously yeah, um, yeah. and uh so especially a project such as this uh it's incredibly important that um that we're you know a reliable partner and um so yeah it, it makes it however much however strong the temptation is to to kind of be the person who knows it that that pales into insignificance compared to um uh, the seriousness and and um, and how, how we want to be treated and how we want to treat our partners when we're working on projects together. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you mentioned earlier, obviously, yeah, we have quite the stable of IPs we've worked with. And um, yeah, we can only really work effectively with any of our partners because they know that we are so trusted that, yeah, we won't talk about bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, having, as we were saying about the interviews, I've, I've had several interviews, you know, talking to people about various different bits and pieces and, and listen to them speculate on the you know, future of an IP or whatever else. And yeah, having, having had a sense of, of what's coming next or whatever else, but just not saying anything because you can't. So are you, are you like this? Can you just excuse me for a second? Why is you asking that question? I can't say anything. This is weird. Yeah, I'm fine. What were you saying? <laughs> um, Unfortunately, uh, both um, both Sherwin and I are, um, uh, have a keen interest in politics, and, um, <laughs> and with our with our media training, we are very adept at answering the question that we want to answer, and not the question that was necessarily asked. 
in any in any given but do you, do you, but in all seriousness do you have to do you have to have like sit sit downs and meetings where you say right okay guys this is how we're going to have to answer these particular questions because normally yeah my interview style as you might have noticed is as haphazard as a four-year-old with a set of crayons in a white room um but you know, do you guys are kind of like, and it's pretty conversational, but are you guys kind of like, right, okay, this is what we can mention, this is what we can't mention kind of thing? Because you mentioned NDA, so is there a point where you have to kind of almost kind of like brief each other when if you're doing yeah. press releases or even a slight conversation with somebody in kind of BG Media, this is what you're allowed to do? There's absolutely, um, you know, it's, it's it's part of our respect for, for people like yourself, like for, to make sure we're coming uh, properly prepared um, mm-hmm. and knowing and knowing what our brief is, um, but yeah, because of the um, the potential ramifications, it's really important for us to know what's on 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 the table, as it were, and what what's absolutely off the table and what we need to steer clear of, and um, but not do it in a way that's evasive. It's very um, frustrating to listen to someone being evasive or or coy yeah. about something. Um, yeah. You know you. And I, I think that that's your natural sort of default position if you haven't properly thought about, well, what are the questions that are likely to be asked? If this question comes up, how do we want to deal with it? We want to we want to make sure that at every level we're we're entertaining. Um, we're an entertainment company um, yeah. and we, we need to make sure that we're interesting to to listen to and, and talk to. So, so yeah, now we do a fair bit of um, a fair bit of prep, to be honest with you, um, right. a, a risk of revealing behind the curtain. With it kind of this kind of gaining momentum, and with you kind of straddling into kind of like the video game space, have you noticed a kind of a difference between kind of like the tabletop kind of fan base and the video game fan base? Is there a Venn diagram which is literally one circle, or is there a difference? I mean, what I guess the best example is when you were looking at say like say God Tier and the Bard Sung kind of campaigns was there a difference in how the kickstarter backers were dealing with the campaign as to say when you were doing like say the horizon zero dawn campaign or the resident evil 3 campaign absolutely um i mean so every community is different even when you're i mean just just in that, you know, whether you're looking at you know tabletop wargaming, whether you're looking at a board game community, a video game community, obviously those are very, very broad strokes and genres. And mm-hmm. even within that, there's there's a dramatic difference between, for example, a Resident Evil, you know, a Res- the Resident Evil fan base and the Horizon Zero Dawn fan base. Yeah, in the same way, there's a, a fairly healthy difference between the Bard Song one and the God Tier one. Yeah. So this is something you always or we always have to consider as part of what we're doing. Um, whenever we sit down to sort of really think about any of our games, very much in our mind is is what we uh, we have sort of key personas that we look at. Who are we making this game for? You know, what type of game do they appreciate? What's the you know, And we can get into the design stuff. You know, in maybe our seventh or our eighth hour of conversation on this podcast about um, you know about design bits and pieces in terms of core DNA and stuff. But a lot a lot of our focus tends to be. What's the best way to make something that caters to this particular audience? What what do this audience enjoy? How do we make this game better for them? You know, more fun, more engaging, more something they can latch onto more. Hmm. We spend quite a bit of time carefully um, designing uh, personas, so we so we have uh, a clear picture of of the different types and characters of of people who who might interact with our games, and you know. Um, 
a risk of sort of generalizing you can you can group people um into into fairly accurate kind of um structures and 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 if you're looking at how you want to present uh, a product how you want the game experience to be it's really important to look at it through multiple different lenses to try and uh, make sure that we're not getting too um tunnel visioned on on a, on a singular kind of experience um so yeah it's 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 really key to understand who who the likely audience is for any product that we're working on. I had a I had a vision when you were saying personas, Matt, that you were talking about putting on like a top hat, getting a cape and a twiddly moustache, <laughs> <laughs> going about going. Today I'm evil, Matt. Dun 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 dun. I'm going to tie you to the I mean, railway tracks. It's not a million miles away from that, but um, we tend to <laughs> we tend to use names of people we know who exhibit hmm. certain characteristics. So. Uh, he will uh, he will have no problem with me mentioning him. Um, one of our uh, product owners, uh, Jamie, um, is a very uh, strategic and uh, competitive gamer. Uh, although between you and me, he's getting a bit slow in his old age, but um, don't tell him that. Is that uh, God-tier Jamie? God-tier Jamie, yeah. yeah. That's how the yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like, I see these videos, about, there's God-tier Jamie. I see him on the street as well, you know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right, God-tier Jamie, how you doing? Well, he's also the name of our uh, competitive player persona as well. So uh, is we always uh, we always visualise Jamie whenever we're talking about um, how would Jamie like this particular feature that we're talking about or, or this particular experience. There was a rumour going about that some of the tables where he works have to be screwed to the floor to stop him from flipping them when he loses a competitive <sighs> game. Is that correct? Or is that he's just ne- Well, the thing is, he's never lost a competitive game tonight. That's the thing. <laughs> But that I heard because he just like looks at people, <laughs> he looks at people, then he brings out his violin until they get really kind of awkward, and then he just leaves. And then well, he's when, like, when Matt says he's slowing down, he means that Jamie has you know now takes three turns to beat you instead of doing it on the first one. Uh, yeah, that's the difference. I'll tell you a funny story about Jamie. Where, um, I was playing on Vassal one night, playing some Guild Ball, and it was just a casual game. And I don't know if you've used Vassal, but it's it's not the most user friendly. Uh, virtual tabletop out there but it was it was kind of what what we had at the time and i had him beat hands down and um uh i went to uh hit a measurement and i was like one pixel out yeah and uh but you know usually usually there's vassal rules which is you know there's a little degree of tolerance you know if you're one or two pixels out it's fine you know because on the tabletop that would absolutely be in range um and Jay was like, no, well, you're out. Because he's now seen what, what I'm now <laughs> He's like, well, you're out. And I'm like, well, you, are you calling that out? He says, yeah. I said, all right, fine. It is a casual game. Yeah, no. Well, if it's out, it's out, Matt. I can't help it. All right, James. No problem. <laughs> I got you. And then he went into grind mode. And he then grinded and grinded and grinded. And it got to about half 11. I went, I went. I'm going to bed, Jamie. I go, you win. You, you win from sheer tenacity. And he's like, yeah. Yes, I Just, did. Yeah. Walks away from that table like, oh, yeah, I won. Like, you know, exactly. The, the king lives. He yeah, goes, like, cuts, uh, cuts another mark into his flesh like Zaz from Batman going, right, there's, an- <laughs> there's yeah. another one I've just, there's another one I've just beaten. Um, Sherwin. Yes. Do you ever kind of take people that you don't know too well and they're not aware of what you do for a living and take them past a local game shop and go, oh, that, 
Yeah, I was involved in that. Oh, and I was involved in that game there. Oh, in this game here, I was involved in that. And oh, look, there's another one of mine. Oh, and uh, oh, yeah, that one there, that's the one that's in the big display. That's mine as well. I refer you back to the aforementioned <laughs> imposter syndrome and the answer being no. Uh, no, so to be honest, I've, ne- I've never once done that. Um, I think one of the most important things in life is always to be humble. Uh, and I hate uh, that. That's not me at all. But I do, I, I will just to uh, go with that. I find it so thoroughly surreal that I can go into you know shops where I live or wherever across the land and find you know like things like game for example because a lot of our products obviously yeah. cross over into mainstream and i see something sitting on the shelf that i've made um i and that's always a slightly surreal moment the same way as yeah there are some very there are some really nice uh, moments in terms of getting to do what we do which are really cool um and i think the the one which is not quite what necessarily your original question but something that was was really really nice was seeing the original director of the resident evil 2 video game um posting on twitter that he had a copy of our game of resident evil 2 and that blew my mind um for about man i had to go out for a bit of a walk and just think about it for a moment like sort of yeah young young what 16 17 year old me was very very proud of old me at that point because uh, it's kind of just that just that idea of i i played his game to death and now he has my game which hopefully he's played to death i don't know probably not but the point is is that it was yeah there are some moments like that where i'd never go out and go to a point of showing people anything but i would certainly say it's pretty cool do you find do you ever find you haven't have a word with yourself and actually go into your little kind of room and go, look, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. Now get back to that table and get on with kind of like working out this bit that seems to be eluding at you the moment. I'm going to say no, mostly on the basis that I just kind of, I think one of the things that we have is, one of, one of the things that we've always, that I've always looked at, and I think this, I know this is shared by you, Matt, is, we never rest on our laurels. We always yeah. look at what we've done and we always go, right, here's how we can improve. Here's how we can learn from this. Here's how we can get better. We could literally release like the, you know, a 10 out of 10 perfect game to someone yeah. and we would still look at it and go, right, how can I make that better? So there's very, there's very little um, sort of looking at sort of pinching yourself and going, hang on a minute. Like, you know, I just did this. It's always yeah. looking at it from a perspective of we've just done this. Cool. Let's move on. Let's go do the next thing. And then the next yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and so on, and I think that's the that kind of drive to go onwards is is one of the big things I think baked into our uh, into our company's culture, certainly in terms of our dev team. Anyway, is is that why you went back to Dark Souls? Because to be honest, I don't know of any many companies out there that would say if we go back and do this again, there's going to be some people who are going to raise their voices a little bit, or there's going to be some people who are going to have comments on the internet about it. Because I, when I saw it, when I saw the announcement, when you were looking at like bringing out the painted world of uh, Ari Amos, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the painted world, oh. and also the Tomb of the Giants, and this is all we're also going to be bringing out the, the kind of the rule sets as well, so to that you can then play with the original base game there was part of me that was a little bit i must admit i was kind of impressed that you decided to go right we're just going to do this let's face this head on and just crack into it kind of thing well i mean when rich and i started the business uh, all those years ago we we were always um 
reminding each other to be courageous and and never to to shy away from doing something just because it's difficult or a little bit worrying or whatever mm. um so we um we we think that it was the right thing to do and and therefore we we were able to kind of stand by those convictions really um there was there was stuff that we wanted to do um in um you know in the in the dark souls corset and uh it, it just felt like a really sensible thing to do has that shaped how you're looking at elden ring then have you brought things that you've because to me um Elden Ring is quite literally um, Legend of Zelda, <laughs> but with Dark Souls. The way I play it, you know, that's how my, you know, that's how my. When I first saw my son Elden Ring on the video game, he was like, "Oh, that's just like, uh, that's just like Zelda." I was like, "Yeah," I says, "But it's better." And people are going to hate me for that, but I must admit, I did enjoy Elden Ring an awful lot more than I ended up enjoying it more than I did enjoy just Zelda just the way that it kind of it kind of kind of played um but I mean going forward are you take when you're taking Elden Ring to kind of kickstarter as part of you thought should we step away should we step aside from kickstarter or are we going to continue to get Kickstarter? I mean, you're you're well established now. You've been going some time. You've got all these IPs behind you and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the I think the thing to I think the thing that's interesting to talk about, uh, you know, in, in, on that subject is the 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 fluidity of Kickstarter as a platform and the nature of of the projects that go onto that platform uh, and how they change and evolve over time. And right now. Um, Kickstarter is a fantastic uh, doorway or gateway to a highly engaged uh, first, you know, or early adopting uh, community, and it gives us such a um, such a like a nitrous hit to to kind of or a turbo boost to to kind of build a community in a really short space of time, and because because it's because the community grows so quickly, you know, you're often talking. 5,000, maybe even 10,000 people in the space of a couple of weeks suddenly smashing together and, and they're everyone jazzed and excited and there's loads of conversations going on and, you know, and, and you really get lost in the in the chaos and it's fantastic. Um, so it, it's, it's super exciting to do that. And I think that that right now is why Kickstarter is still our, you know, our first port of call. Um, but with that in mind, it's, it's, you know, the funding totals are obviously important, but what's more important is is how we engage with the community how we how we interact with them i mean we've always done our very best to listen to the communities um and and one of the things that we pride ourselves on when we go to kickstarter is we take games that are 95 percent done 90 percent done and we do that on purpose because we want to leave uh a, a enough for us to have opportunities to listen to cool ideas from the communities talk to people about it and really like tailor the product in um or you know to to you know listen to what people are saying and, and try and make sure we're delivering a project a project that or a product that satisfies what their expectations would be from an ip that they love i think of several of our games which have really benefited from that like um there's there's more than there's a there's more than a few ideas where not necessarily they're direct 
correlations to kind of something that's been suggested during a campaign but it's certainly something where you know that's started a discussion point and whether that be internally with the dev team and then we're kind of bouncing away from that or whether it's something where we've talked to our actual backers i mean i can think of both examples of both where we've just built upon that to make a a much more cohesive uh you know you know something a rule that's much more cohesive or feels much more informed as a result of it something actually that's worth touching base on when we were talking about personas but if you yeah. go back a couple of questions is yeah the, the, the missing factor to that that we didn't necessarily touch base on is not only to understand you know the people you're making the game for but it's also to be respectful for the actual game itself it is to identify what it well you know what does it feel like to play this game what is it that makes this game what it is and that's one of the key things as well as obviously understanding the community why you're making that thing and communities yeah. are a fantastic way yeah they're they're very focused they're very they're very passionate they're very driven about whatever their existing ip be and that's something where yeah, you know, why wouldn't you speak to the, you know to people of you know in that community about four ideas just to tell them this cool thing that we're they're all doing together? Why wouldn't you talk to them and kind of make them part of that process? Some of our campaigns, people have remarked that you know the most fun campaigns they've ever had, and the honest reason is is because that's we really try to get everybody involved. We really try to make sure that everyone you know has a reason to go to that page and rather than just you know clicking on a button to get that thing. Yeah, yeah. How how often? <laughs> How often do you get calls from other crowdfunding platforms that are available? I mean, do you now know them? <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> do you see that you're like at UK Games Expo and go, oh, no, that's him quick. Let's just, do you want to get a coffee? I tell you what, you, you push and I'll run. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's obviously um, an explosion of different crowdfunding platforms out there and they all have uh, their, their their individual sort of strengths and weaknesses um and we we stay in touch with them but uh, um right now uh kickstarter are, are, are a fantastic partner for us we work very closely with them uh to make sure that you know our projects are um meeting their high expectations and and uh, you know in return they they lend us their wisdom and and learning from from what they see uh so we have a brilliant relationship with them and um it means that I get to uh, pop over to New York every now and then to have a meeting with the uh, with the, the, the higher ups over there, which is never anything to be sniffed at. That was a very, 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 very political answer there, as in a politician's type answer. Why? Why? And thank I, you very much, sir. I'm glad I you know. I salute you. I salute you, sir, for kind of like saying yes, but also no, but also yes, but maybe no, but possibly, possibly yes. And I refer you to the. The question that I gave you the answer to some, some time ago. Um, in terms of your core offering, there's usually a reasonable amount of plastic. In terms of... and one Are, of you, the, are you talking about the bribery to appear on this podcast? or <laughs> Yes, maybe. Um, but yes, potentially. I did cross out that question. Um, about did you need my address? No. Um, for that stuff. Um, <clears throat> it should still be legible though, and I can I can send you my 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 address. Um, but is there? A, have you guys thought of like things like standees? Are you as time goes on? Are you thinking about kind of more kind of environmentally ecologically sound solutions? Because oh. I know I've seen other people talking about standees and stuff like that, and they're saying, well, as somebody who doesn't paint, okay, and you can 
hate me if you want. I can paint if I want to. I choose not to because then I would bedazzle everybody and they would go, he's so talented at everything, not just podcasting. But have you considered ever going down like kind of like the beautifully illustrated kind of standee route as well as just, you know, here's the beautifully sculpted figures? Because I love the figures in God tier. They're wonderful. And also I have done a couple of TikToks in relation to the Horizon Zero Dawn miniatures because they are absolutely wonderful as well. But have you ever said, is this another direction that we can go in? Is this a different offering as well in relation to development costs and and, and everything else that's evolved around that? I think think for all the reasons that you you outlined um, in the question, um, the answer is is we, we often think about it because price sensitivity is something we need to be aware of. But yeah. we've built a world-class sculpting team, an art team uh, mm. here at Steamforged, and we do take an immense amount of pride in, in the sculpts that we, uh, that we make, um, and we, we take um, a huge amount of pride in the stuff that's less visible, but it's the stuff that our production team uh, works with the factories to uh, develop you know, really high-end plastics to, to enable us to get the right levels of detail. You know, some of the minis that we're putting into our Epic Encounters sets, you know, the latest set with the uh, with the Dragon Turtle and, and, the, and the Crab Folk is just mind-blowing how good it mm. is. So I think we would be remiss and, and possibly foolish to, to move away from that. You know, there's there's plenty of um, there's plenty of amazing games out there with standees in it, and I play a whole bunch of them. You know, Sherwin and I have played the heck out of Gloomhaven, for example. Um, but it's not really our bag, to be honest no. with you. You know, we 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 know what we're good at, and and we want to keep doing the things that we're good at. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, you kind of come around to what we talked about earlier. Again, we're back to the community. One of the something which isn't necessarily a direct persona perhaps to to our audience but certainly is a facet of that is a lot of people back our projects because they really do love the miniatures it's you know we we have a i mean russ our lead sculptor is i think that's his style i I lose track of things these days in my old age but yeah he's (laughs) he's got a tremendous following of people who just literally love his work anything that we put out and yeah, it's not it's not difficult to see why when you look at something like Bard Sung or Epic Encounters or any of our projects, to be honest, that Ross has worked on, which is all of them. But the the point is is that you know, it's almost part of something where when we top when we first approach putting out a project, there are people who get excited about it because they want to see the models. And you know, site site segue into a into World of Ring, that's yeah, that's just carried on there as well. People are really, really, really excited um, about seeing some of the new renders we're putting up and it's because they're amazing. Um, our team is incredible. I'm just thinking, right, okay, back to what Matt was talking about, what he had for dinner. Could we technically have a Carbonara-type minis game where the minis themselves are made out of small bits of pasta? <laughs> and then once you <laughs> once you have played once you've played with them, you don't have to embarrassly embarrassingly stick them on the UK kind of games trading forum and say, right, okay, it's got a slight bash in the box. You could literally pan a boiling water, twelve and a half minutes, bit of salt, and then you could have yourself like a kind of a lovely, you know, a lovely Horizon Zero Dawn kind of carbonara. I mean, you know, and you could include like 
blocks of hard cheese. I'm just thinking. I mean, this is sure. an entire. You started off with recipes. I'm just I'm blue sky in here. Do, do, you, know. do you know that would require us to put a line in our rule book, which we've never I've never put in a rule book before, <laughs> but basically says not for use in jacuzzis. Ah, oh, that's important. That is important because <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure be there are Steam Forge out there, Steam Forge fans out there who play Resident Evil in jacuzzis. Um, I, can, <laughs> I, I can imagine the Venn diagram for that being not really, <laughs> not really much of a. No, you I kind of a quite small, quite small circle. I mean, um, this, is, this, this is where I'm now thinking, just to lead on from the sort of, you know, things. Maybe this is something we should do, Matt, and, you know, we should get social media to get the fam, you know, get our audience, our communities to, to send us pictures of where they play their games. Um, you know, you see, you see people like to, you send people, you know, you see people start sending pictures of whatever they're doing, you know, on top of a mountain or on planes or whatever else. We could do that in our games. <laughs> like kind of extreme ironing, you could have extreme steam forging. Extreme oh, forging. There you go. Exactly. Oh, it's even done. They, I've TM'd that. I'm going to write that down. Where's my pen? I've dropped my pen. No way. Uh, we've. Have you gone. got that already? You've just oh. Oh, right, so you've covered yeah. that off already. Yeah, in the time it took you to drop your pen, we've got it. We've got <laughs> you've it. Now. You've got Sorry. a lawyer. <laughs> we're yeah. a professional outfit with lawyers and everything and carbonara, and we've just trademarked everything, kind of out of it. Um, can you talk about Elden Ring, or you got to wait until you can really talk about Elden Ring? Uh, I I think we can talk about Elden Ring. What do you yeah. want to know? I want to know. Okay, now I'm going to come in from a slight a slight tangent on here, okay? I played Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game, and I really liked Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game. I liked its mixture of deck building. I liked the fact, when I put this in the review that I wrote, I liked the fact it was like a slice, it was a slice of pie of the entire Horizon Zero Dawn kind of experience. If you had the base game, you had like the development around the hunting lodge and it was basically like, okay, you're going to hunt these guys. You're going to go away. You're going to get, you get your points, get your glory. With regards to Elden Ring, with the entire game being this huge open world experience, was it a, was it a lot of, did you have to like really going to get the, the cogs turning to think how are we going to then represent that in a kind of a, a fully fledged kind of board game because that's because I don't know if you would be able to get away with saying okay here's a slice of life we're just going to do like the chalice you know like the chalice dungeons in Bloodborne kind of thing yeah. if you know what I mean I think uh, the way that we the way that we approached Elden Ring is the same way that we approached um, every other game in terms of the the high level design and that is we really want to understand what is it about the game that is so compelling to people when they're playing the video game? What is their, what is their emotional response? What is it that keeps them switching that console back on and going again and again and again? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of those key aspects was that sense of discovering a world and traveling from, you know, from place to place. Uh, and, and it was, it was key I think to the to the overall experience uh, of playing Elden Ring, um, to to have a, that sort of sense of wonder, but most importantly to have that sort of sense of scale as well. So using that as a starting point made it quite obvious, you know, when when Sho and I sat down to start sort of sketching out some some kind of initial ideas that that the exploration phase had to be a key part of of what you spend your time at the table doing. 
uh, and making sure that that was you know a rewarding part of the gameplay and not um, a vehicle to get you to the boss fight, um, which it is to be, to a certain degree, but it has to be uh, fun and enjoyable and 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 add to your overall experience in order to make the boss fight and the combats that you have even more exciting because you know they have a lot more context now they have a lot more relevance they have a lot more importance in 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 what you're doing there you know they are the cherry on top of the uh, the bakewell tart that's a nice analogy how often did you sit there nudging each other going we're making elden ring it's like i know shut up but we're making elden ring yes i know we are be quiet i'm trying to do this how often did you do that because i would have been doing that all the time yeah yeah it happens quite a bit it happens quite a bit and i think this is one of the things that um you know showing's a really cra- cracking example that we, we're quite lucky that, that every project that we've worked on uh we've had uh someone in the in the business who is a super fan you know so showing was was by far and away a, a resi super fan and uh yeah. and that was invaluable to the experience um uh, a chap called Alex, uh, who worked um, with us on Dark Souls in the early days, was a uh, was a you know a, an unbelievable super fan and knew just about everything that there was to know. So we've we've been lucky along the way um, with with having access to really um, what's the word I'm looking for knowledgeable uh, people. And the great thing about the internet now, and and certainly our ability to kind of reach out and talk to people. Um, means that we're able to kind of engage with the community. Like, you know, for example, we did with the the new Dark Souls core sets. Mm-hmm. One of the key motivations for that was uh, was because we saw some really cool ideas that people were talking about, you know, you know, house rules and, and different ways of playing with the, uh, the original core set. Uh, and it felt like a brilliant opportunity for us to um, build some of those into to the, you know, the core engine. Um, and Sharon and I have been chatting for quite some time about, you know, the campaign system and and how we wanted to make that feel like it had a little bit more meaning to it, um, and and it, you know it was it was a bit more of a uh, a structure uh, that you played uh, within rather than um, a, a series of random encounters, effectively. So yeah. it's um, it's it, it's I don't know I I, I just really enjoy talking to people who, who have a deep abiding love for the product that we're working on. And sometimes it's us as well. And that makes it even better. Yeah, I can, um, I can happily tell a story I, uh, about uh, Horizon Zero Dawn here. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, since you mentioned it. So when we first started, I mean, Horizon's another good example of a game that we were talking to you know, Gorilla about you know, for a long while before it came out. Um, and so, so that's I, I kind of found out. Okay, so we're working on Horizon, and I'll I'll readily admit I'll be the first to say that when you know first kind of looked at this and went, "Cool, Horizon." I don't really know much about it except some amazing visuals. So let's go, let let's get this thing and do it. And I very mu- I very much remember it was a uh, I sort of yeah I had I had a chat with you, man, and was like, "Okay, so I'm working on this. Awesome. Let's go and find out about it." And so first stop point of call is okay. I'll go get the game. So go out get the game. Stick it in my PlayStation. Sit there and go right. Okay, cool. I'll spend a couple of hours playing this, get a feel for what the game is. Obviously, that's really important. You know, what does it feel like to play it? You know, what's the interactions? Because I could read all about it online, but if I don't play it, I don't feel, you know, what it is to be Aloy running around the wilds, then I can't possibly make anything of it. So that's exactly what I kind of went and did. And I sat down, I started playing it. I thought, okay, I'll be for a couple of hours. Anyway, so at some point, 
I looked up and realized it was dark and it's two in the morning. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like that's like, yeah. that's not happened for a long while. Yeah. Since I was very young, much younger. Um, yeah. I kind of looked at this one. Okay. That's kind of cool. Anyway, fine. I'll go to bed. So next morning I wake up and I'm like, okay, well, I probably should get a couple more hours into that. Cause I've got a rough feel for what it is, but I know I still need to go and, you know, go kill that sawtooth. I need to go and do a couple other bits and pieces. So I sit there, put it in my PlayStation, mix it off a cup of tea. Anyway, at some point I'm sitting there playing it. I go to pick up said cup of tea, drink it. I'm like, oh, this is really cold. Like, yeah. really cold. And then I realized it's dark outside. And I'm like, <laughs> it's three in the morning now. Like, how's this passed without me doing this? Why am I really hungry? All these things. I'm kind of flooding yeah. in because I've just sort of stepped away from the screen for a second. A lot of the games we work on uh, have ways of you know, making you into that super fan, even if you're not necessarily familiar with them, because we are we are blessed to work with some insanely, you know, some insanely talented people and some insanely you know awesome games. Um, yeah, and and that's kind of you know, that's part of you know it's a really awesome feeling. So, I yeah, as I say, I kind of I really I I kind of I got a, I really like the Resi. I, I've got. Resident Evil 3, I really liked it because it seemed like this was a full... This was the Resident Evil 3 game, pretty much. It was sitting on the table, you're playing through the campaigns, you're getting chased down corridors, and it was a really kind of nice... It was a really impressive kind of product. Whereas on Horizon Zero Dawn, I kind of had to look at it from a a different kind of glance, and I can see why, even looking at it, going, how the hell do I fit... (laughs) How the hell do I fit this into a box? Do I just have a big thing on the back of the instructions say, now go outside and take the minis with you? <laughs> start crawling up, kind of, start kind of crawling up hills and stuff like that. Um, so, are, in terms of then Elden Ring, is it going to be, is it going to be like a, what you would say, a kind of a standard kind of Steam Forge kind of fair? And what I mean by that is they're going to be, a very decent core box and then kind of various different expansions with it that are kind of optionals or have you decided to kind of stretch goals or are you still kind of trying to figure out the kind of logistics of where you're going with things? See, this this is the interesting point of the marketing cycle where I'm trying to remember what all the bits and pieces I've written over the last you know couple of months, what's come out by now, what hasn't come out. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm, and what I'm not... to talk about. So this is the point I'm going to hand over to Matt because yeah, whatever you talk about, that was fun. <laughs> I, I'm not getting in trouble with marketing. I'll let you do it. Amazing. So uh... <laughs> it's a Pontius pilot moment right there, yeah, and we got it recorded. Yeah, and uh, duly noted. No, I think, um... <laughs> it's going to be words in the car. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think what's interesting about um, this this topic is is looking at the way the market works working in the way um your friendly local game store likes to stock products and, and the way that gamers like to interact with it um expansion creep is is really not not nearly as sensible a, a strategy as as you would first think um the 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 attachment rate for one of using a horrible management speak um for for an expansion um is not as nearly as high as you think it is uh, and it's in, and it becomes a problematic product for a for a game store to to stock because you know, and we saw this at Gen Con this year. Uh, we had a uh, we had a Gen Con bundle for uh, Horizon, 
uh, and it was uh, Horizon and uh, a couple of expansions, and it was a fantastic Gen Con only price. And they were going like hotcakes, like absolute hotcakes. Um, and for one reason or another, um, we we hadn't shipped enough core sets in in correlation to the number of expansions that we had on the shelves. And the minute that we ran out of core sets, as you can imagine, the sales just went off a cliff for that yeah. particular bundle. <clears throat> yeah. and, and that's something that we need to take quite seriously as, as you know, in terms of responsibility for our kind of partners and friends in, you know, who stock our products in their, in their local game stores. So we really try and focus on now on making sure that our content is um, a standalone expansion. So it means that you can pick up this product and play it. You don't need to have a core set necessarily. And that's yeah. what we try and get towards as much as possible. Now, obviously, that's not always feasible or, or sensible, um, but that's definitely the the direction that when we sat down to like do the you know the product and the and the SKU the SKUs um, uh, design for this, we we had that in our mind's eye that we wanted to make sure that wherever possible the products were standalone. Um, and obviously, when we looked at you know uh, the lands, you know between the, the, the size of it. Uh, meant that it wasn't all going to fit into a single box. And if it, yeah. we did try and fit it all into a single box, then we'd end up being so superficially light touch to it that we wouldn't be doing any justice whatsoever to to the IP. So, you know, some of those, some decisions are easier than others, you know, so splitting the land into into a number of core sets that allow the players to to kind of explore, you know, starting in Lingrave and then working their way around um felt very sensible that interestingly then leads to something that goes up on the design constraints list which is you know quite rightly players would love to grab, grab a character in this first core set start at, at level zero for one of a better expression and and be able to play that character all the way through to the to the very end you know uh which which is a box that we have yet to design so we need to make sure that we spend in and have spent uh, a lot of time on the maths um, and making sure that we understand what the scalability is and and, mm. you know, and all that kind of jazz. So it's it's why I find the job that we do so fascinating because there's so there's so many kind of threads that you can pull and they have you know predictable and unpredictable results and and just nudging here there and and you know just to see what happens. It, it means that we're able to you know start with an idea go through a process and end up um in in a in a place that is sometimes very different from where we started um but yeah you know it, it, it's it's fun it's it's a fun kind of exercise to go through is is that why you're kind of seem to be kind of proactively kind of pushing the ongoing communities for like say like the likes of god tier and the encounter set in order to make sure that that product line kind of stays alive and people are kind of picking up it kind of expansions because from what i've seen there's the you know there's there's certainly a god tier kind of playing group where people kind of get involved and it's fairly active and everybody's talking about their strategies and playthroughs and stuff like that and is it because an ip i'm guessing is always going to be an awful lot easier to to sell on than say you know wonderful bard song or you know the delicious god tier so is it do you find you're having to do maybe a little bit more work to make sure that they aren't kind of left at the wayside. I know Bard Song's obviously still very much a, a lovely hot potato with the carbonara in it, but um, 
the likes of God to you, you, you still kind of like make sure that you're picking away at it, that people are still aware of it, that people are aware. Because oh, yeah. I know it's your kid, you know, you're still releasing kind of like additional kind of um, expansions for them. Yeah, um, the, the thing to, to that's worth highlighting very early on in, in, in my answer is um, God Tier is, is, a, is a different type of product. Um, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, is more evergreen. It's it's more a kind of product where the expectation is you will have ongoing releases and you build your collection over time. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's ostensibly a, a miniatures game that that looks like a board game. Yeah. Um, one of the compelling reasons that we all get into buying minis and and buy and playing minis games is because we know and trust that over you know over the next number of you know X years, well as long as we're playing the game, there's going to be something new coming out every other month, and we're going to be able to pick something up and and have something new to paint and. Uh, and or add to the to the pile of shame so so for god tier is is very much almost an inverse problem which and you know and this is true for every miniatures game is the expectation is to keep releasing product and you need to make sure you're not releasing so much stuff that you're invalidating previous purchases or or worse you're allowing the game to kind of collapse under its own weight and and that's generally uh where miniatures games um kind of go into their you know, into the home straight, as it were, and um, and then eventually wink out of existence um, because there's just too many too many products out there, too complicated. Um, it's too hard for new people to get into and understand where to start with. So, you know, one of the things that we we've always said with God here was making sure we've got you know a healthy understanding of how we want to do a rotation or you know or how we want to make sure that um, the the barrier for entry is kept as low as possible while still providing you know a depth and complexity to to the game for for veterans of the game as well so um so it's a very it's a very different beast for god tier as compared to you know something like elden ring or or resi yeah or, yeah. yeah is god tier kind of cool for you sharing because you can say i know we could just have them all made out of like ceramics and we could have this person who's part cloud and this one they've got the legs of a frog and the neck of a giraffe because you're not basing it around an IP, does it give you a little bit more kind of creativity when you're thinking about kind of development move sets and even the characters that you're kind of bringing in? Because God tier does have such a huge different range of characters that you can bring to the table. You know, it's interesting because I'm going to land at a different point than where I think you'd expect with God tier. Um, So I've been involved in some some design elements of God tier. Uh, you know, campaign stuff certainly, and a mm. couple of uh, champion designs and bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But largely, that's uh, that's one that's more Jamie focused than it is mine. Um, my touch point we've got here, inevitably, uh, sorry, invariably, actually has been in terms of law and anything else. Oh. I first uh, I first began life at Steamforge Games as lead writer, and um, so I, I've I've written with Richard August our uh, our RPG uh, our lead. What what is Richard August's title? Is he sort of guru? Do we call him this day, Matt? Something along those lines. I think well internally. So uh, <laughs> be careful. The way the structures is so Sherwin and Jamie, uh, Richard and Russ are all product owners, yeah. and for us, product owner is is um, is a is an incredibly. Uh, far-reaching uh, role. It encompasses a huge amount of responsibility, but it's not always a role that's easy to kind of convey, uh, which is why we do tend to have these interchangeable hats. So, for example, Sherwin is, you know, provides writing for Godtier um, and provides design and development on 
you know, Elden Ring, for example, um, as, as, amongst other other products. Uh, and it's a very sort of sliding scale. So Richard uh, focuses on uh, he's the product owner for our RPG range and um, but also has a uh, a brilliant background in in writing and, and, a, and a really strong skill set in that regard. So so we get him involved in helping us when we get to doing world building um, and things like that to make sure that we're we're really creating worlds and and, and situate you know situations that are interesting. So so with that in mind, yeah, Guru. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so see, so yeah, I, I sat down with our uh, with our RPG Guru Richard. And, yeah, uh, we've we've written various different bits and pieces of God tier lore and other stuff like that. And um, so my touch point with God tier is is very much more focused that way. So absolutely, I'm a hundred percent happy to make you know all sorts of weird and weird and wacky kind of creatures and other bits and pieces. Um, a whole bunch of which Rich and I have, you know, Rich and I have sort of sat down and uh, over you know probably one too many glasses of whiskey had many conversations about what you know crazy sort of different. Uh, creatures could exist in the god tier world and and which age they came through and why the pantheon of gods looks the way it does and all sorts of stuff like that somewhere somewhere on an older machine and i've got a timeline of a whole bunch of different um of different gods and different ages of god tier hmm. so yeah so uh that's that's possibly a uh it's possibly an answer that you were well, probably a question for jamie i say more than me um because I'm going to give him the weird and wacky stuff and Jamie has to rein it back in. Well, that's fine, because we think Jamie needs to rein things in a bit anyway, don't we? Um, <laughs> I've got one more question to round things up, because I, I am aware of the glorious amount of time. Um, and I want a quick answer to this. I don't want thinking and thoughts. I want, or introspection. I just want you to blurt out the first thing that comes to your heads, which is... If you have the chance to develop a game based on anything at all, could be an IP, what game would that be? And I'm going to take that straight to Matt. If I could have any license in the world? Yeah. That is really hard question to ask someone who's already working on Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Uh I think I think uh it's really hard to answer. I I have a, a deep abiding and a long um love affair with League of Legends and I think that would be a, a product that I would um be incredibly happy to, to work on. There you go. Sharon. Anything at all. And again, I refer you back. Like not only not only God tier, but having already made several Resident Evil games now. Yeah, which would have my immediate one I run to. You know, the greatest video game ever made is, other than Elden Ring, is a game called Vagrant Story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Good. It really is. I would, I would be both. I would probably crawl over glass through machine gun fire to make a vagrant oh, story game so suitable for like just a board game setup as well that what showing crawls what showing crawls through glass and under machine gun fire that's a terrific, uh, terrific, horrible concept it could be just basically an expansion um, I mean, what, yeah, what, uh, glass, what if it was like discarded minis that people have uh, oh bits of sprue so i i will crawl over 
broken uh broken sprue and dreams uh to get to a vagrant story game and then at that point probably be terrified about you know dealing with how do i make this as good as the video game or how do i make this feel like it and that's where the imposter syndrome kicks in and that's where i'm happy to work with people like all of the ones we've referenced in this call like matt and richard and jamie and russ and everybody else because i know that we've got to smash it out of the park Fantastic. So Elden Ring is coming to Kickstarter 22nd of November, am I correct? You are indeed. And is it going to launch at the normal kind of uh, time, like about 3pm, 4pm kind of British time? Uh, I think we normally do about 5 or 6. Don't don't pin me down to that one because I'm working on aged memory there. Because you think of Pacific Pacific Standard Time, so if it's a five o'clock, that means a nine o'clock in the morning for the Kickstarter. Um, Brilliant. Obviously, we are going to put some information in the show notes, but if people want to find you on the internet webs, where can we find you on the internet webs, Sherwin? Well, obviously, anything Steamforged. Um, My Twitter handle is Sherwin's Agenda. Um, I think that's more or less most of the place you're going to find me. Brilliant. Matt, where do you exist? on the internet uh, webs do you exist i uh i am one of those curious people who uh i don't go on facebook i don't go on any social media but i do go on twitter um and i have a slightly weird um twitter handle called at uh c4rp3r which is uh at carper but spelt with like cool numbers and letters like the kids used to back in the day you're um, so you're so elite yeah correct <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm screaming internally here. I am. Uh, I am definitely seven three three T or whatever it was. That used is to exactly. Be. Yeah. 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 What? Um, what? Yeah. Other than that, yeah. Anything Steamforged um, will generally find its way to us. Fantastic, and we'll make sure that we put all the links in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we've up to, just go to the internet webs and search for We Are Not Wizards. If you want to read our reviews, um. For the Steamforge games, you can go to we'renotwizards.co.uk. If you want to listen to them, because we're now recording our reviews so they appear on our podcast feed, that's we'renotwizards.com. If you want to, you can see us on Twitter and Instagram and all the lovely places, worn out faces, bright and early for the Daily Ray Says. Uh, there's only a couple more things to do. If, if you listened tonight and you liked what you listened to, then please consider going to the Apple Podcast and leave us a rating or review. Um... If you are going to leave us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed, but at the same time, don't give us one star because it maketh me cry. Give us something like a five because it's in the middle and it's just a little bit average. Just well, like it doesn't us. tell you it's measured out of five. Don't. Why? But I, that is the whole point of oh, the you've, joke. You've the trick. That is the whole... That is the trick. That it's measured... Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say, but the people who haven't been average tonight, but we can forget about that, are average people. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the six, I've got the six, <laughs> I've got the six out of ten, Matt Hart. <laughs> oh, I thank you, sir. I'll take it. <laughs> and I've got the between about 3.75 at the moment, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Sherwin Matthews. I've been um, your rules lawyer for this evening. Uh, I, I'm glad <laughs> I just ruined that moment. Absolutely. Did. It's fine. People do it all the time. I'm kind of used to it. It's almost like a, a joke in itself. Um, but thank you very, very much for, 
for guesting tonight. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having us. It's been very, uh, very enjoyable, actually. I've, I've, I've yeah. thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Good yeah. stuff. There is only so, two more two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Matt? Uh, no, we are most certainly not wizards. Are we wizards, Sherwin? I've never once been a wizard. You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, but we are wonderful people. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Sherwin. Say goodbye, Sherwin. Goodbye, Sherwin. And it's a goodbye from Matt. Say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye, Matt. And you wonderful, wonderful, tarnished people, take a trip to the lands between and Lingrave round about the 22nd of November-ish. But until the next time, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful, and stay forged, steam forged. Goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.